the Intersection Education Podcast. Schools are the place where different institutions, services, and societal influences meet. In other words, they're at the intersection of children's lives. In the Intersection Education Podcast, we speak with insiders and outsiders of the education world to try to gain new insight and improve our schools. Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. My conversation today is with Jennifer Gaffrera, principal of Valley Catholic Middle School in Beaverton, Oregon. In addition to running a great school, she recently led her team and school to the first Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics, or STEM, certification from Advanced Ed. This makes them the first school of any type on the Northwest Peninsula to earn this certification. In case you didn't know, Advanced Ed is a nonprofit organization that conducts reviews of educational institutions around the world, so it's quite an achievement to get this STEM certification. In our conversation, Jen speaks to why she thinks STEM education is important, how she went about changing what they do to align with the values of STEM education, and how they maintain their high standards while accomplishing these goals. The other big thing that she speaks about is really evaluating any idea that you have about improving schools and making sure that the changes you're making align with what your vision of education is. Now, if you like what you're hearing, connect with Intersection Education. You can go to our website, intersectioneducation.com, follow us on Twitter at Intersection Ed, and we're even on Facebook. We really appreciate it when you rate us on iTunes and leave a review. Here's my conversation with Jennifer Gaffrera. Welcome, Jennifer, to Intersection Education. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. That's great. Um, let's get right into the, the core of why um, I wanted to have you on and why I think that you're going to be able to, to speak about something that I'm really interested in, and that's that you recently led your school through a fairly extensive certification prog- process to receive a STEM accreditation through the Advanced Ed. Um, I want to know, why do you see STEM, which is, you know, we all know science, technology, engineering, and mathematics education. Why, why do you feel like that is really important? Why do you feel it was really worth it to bring that big school shift into more of STEM learning? Well, as we have been investigating just education in general, we've spent a fair amount of time looking at um, the neuroscience of the teenage brain, especially for middle school age students. And over the last 15 years attending different courses and trying to understand that, also with the advent of um, tablets and bringing iPads into the classroom, we really wanted to make sure that we were teaching the students, not just bringing in uh, resources and materials that may or may not enhance their learning. And it was through the course of trying to figure out the best way to approach the classroom content that STEM first came across our radar. Uh, We wanted to make sure that we were emphasizing the areas that the school held um, as part of its traditional program, while also enhancing what we saw as a need um, with how teens are learning. 
So it sounds like that came about really organically, which I, which I really like. And I'm interested to know when you started looking at how you might change your school, your program, your curriculum to align with this vision of STEM education, what were the major changes that you had to make? Well, we started with looking at the state curriculum, and as we were trying to adjust those and look at the next generation science standards, we realized that a lot of the things we um, were implementing, for example, um, looking at various assessments, if we were going to truly adopt the new state standards into our curriculum and the next generation science um, standards, there needed to be more hands-on activity, more group activity, more design elements. And so we started there. We started revamping our schedules. Um, assessments was a huge piece because up until this point, our biggest assessments were final exams at the end of the school year because the feeder high schools expect the students to have um, final exams at the end of each semester. So we started by stair-stepping that in sixth grade with a couple final exams for 45 minutes. And then by the time they were done with eighth grade, almost two-thirds of their classes had finals. So instead, what we did is we looked at how are we going to build um, in these these expectations that were coming from um, the standards. And in doing that, we made it so that there was final exams for half the classes, and then a STEM collaborative project for half the classes. And then our emphasis came to setting up style guides for presentation, research, writing, and product. And so we spent time focusing on what do we want our graduates to look like and what does it mean in a sixth grade that they've mastered research, writing, and then bringing that to a presentation form and being able to take all that information and doing something with it. Sometimes that would be a formal presentation that included um, handouts. Sometimes it would be an actual product that they built something. Sometimes it was a collaborative uh, display or an acting a service project or setting up a website. Uh, so it took various forms. And once we went through all those steps and looked at where our program was, it was time for us to go through our regular accreditation cycle. Um, that comes every five years. And with the advanced ed STEM being a new addition, we were curious to see what it looked like. And looking at the standards and what was expected to be certified as a STEM school and what we were already doing organically from uh, just our vision in looking at what our profile of a graduate was and where we wanted these students entering high school, it dovetailed. So that's where we decided that we were going to go ahead and try and become a STEM certified school because it made sense. And so then the next step was, okay, what does this mean? Because the standards were set up for public schools and it was predominantly for high school. So there was several of the uh, requirements for becoming a STEM school that didn't line up exactly. And so we had to go through a process of, well, what does this look like for us? You know, who are our stakeholders? We're not going to have kids going and becoming apprentices when they are 12, 13 years old. So what does an apprenticeship, what does the spirit of being an apprentice look like when you're in middle school? So we spent another year and a half really just questioning several of these elements 
what does that look like and what does that look like for us? And, and frankly, as we were going through it, there was many times where we had the discussion that if advanced ed agrees with our definition and allows us to get the STEM certification with what we think our vision is, we will be super excited. If they don't, we're not changing to meet the certification. That sounds it like the right approach to me. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say? It's like, okay, well, we're, we're going through this. This aligns with our vision of assessment. This aligns with our vision of student and, and, and educator experience. And then if that works organically, then, then heck yes, let's get this certification. But um, I love how you guys came at it from this thing that if this goes against what we believe good education is about, then we're not going to change that. Right. Did you have um, that open conversation? So that was something you did. guys kind of said, hey? That was an ongoing conversation for a good year and a half. Wow. And frankly, I don't know how we would have adopted STEM if we didn't have that conversation. For us, we have a really clear mission. Um, we know what we want our students to do when they graduate. We have very strong feedback from the high schools that they they leave our program to go to. Um, we know how they perform in those high schools. We track them all the way through their high school years. And so it made sense for us. We know who we are. How can we be better? How can we give more to the students? How can they be better prepared? How can we stay ahead and on top of what's happening in the educational community? And again, when those two things dovetailed, it, it, it's really exciting for us. But in order to get there, I had to have a lot of staff help and support. Many of them drove this in one, one way or another. Uh, there's one department that took over the research entirely and spent time coming up with a rubrics and a resource guide, and somebody else took over the writing entirely, and we had to put in a new program and implement different areas. Uh, same thing with the, the presentation and the um, design. We had to find funds to hire in full-time art teachers, which I never thought would have happened 10 years prior. But when we started realizing that that design thinking required uh, art teachers and people that had the design skill, which was a different skill set than the current members on, on staff at the time, um, that just opened up so many possibilities once we made that shift. But it wasn't something we could do right away. And had the other staff not been on board, had we not gone through this process and really kept focusing on what would be best for the kids, what drives the education for the kids, what is something that is going to sustain and isn't just uh, shiny and new, <laughs> right now. Uh, and by bringing everyone along and letting them have a voice, we were a collective team in this process that was able to really bring the start, because we're certainly not finished with the adoption of STEM, but uh, the start of our STEM program. And we already see huge changes in the students and the passion that they have in the realization that you don't complete a project and then check the box that you're done. There are multiple steps and there are multiple revisions and this change in thinking for us really allowed us to get our students to a place much more so than anything else we have tried with, with mindset and, and, you know, working on grit and, um, 
really doing the design process brought us to the place that the kids understand there's multiple steps. And it's the feedback and it's the failures and it's the redoing it and getting more feedback that brings you to a stronger design, a stronger presentation, a stronger research component. Um, And that has been invaluable. I can imagine. I'm interested to go back into one of the one of the pieces you spoke about, and that was um, kind of the process or the system tools and procedures that you used around the professional learning for teachers. Because I imagine that you know you identified that you you perhaps had to get and hire some people that had a different skill set. But I imagine there was also working with the current staff you had and saying, all right, what, how do we forward your thinking? How do we bring you along in this professional learning around STEM? Do you have any processes or tips that you might give for that about bringing staff along in their professional development and learning about a yeah. new system? Well, one of the things that we did that came out of an article, actually, and I don't have the name of the article in front of me, but I can send it to you later. Um, One of the things that we did was try an experiment. And the experiment was having the teachers spend a day as a student. And this article was written from the perspective of a teacher that did just this. And so one of my staff members came into a faculty meeting and said, what do you think? What would it look like for us? Thinking that we would have a discussion. And at that point, we decided, well, let's try this. And so we took time and set it aside so that every single teacher on staff over a two year period spent an entire day, including breaks and lunch, bringing a backpack, sitting at the lunch table, being hosted on one one grade level. So they would stay with seventh grade all day and see what it was like for a particular child. Um, They wouldn't see all the classes because obviously there's electives and, and different level of classes, but they would follow one child's track for the whole day. And that, more than any professional development from outside, um, that changed our thinking. Right. It was about that and, realization or that, that empathy for the students. Right. Eh? It was. And then feeling what it was like and sharing the experience across 25-odd staff members and administrators that went through this and saying, you know, that was an amazing lesson and lecture and, and presentation that happened in Classroom A. But then the same thing happened in B, C, D, and E, and it loses it when you're sitting there, you know, and the the classroom, the teacher of Classroom A just knows what they're doing within their room. And so being able to do that, not only did it build cohorts between the grade level even stronger than they already were in existence, um, it brought the teachers to a better understanding of where the kids were and, and how antsy they got before breaks and lunch and how much they are actually sitting, even though a teacher might be thinking that they are getting them up and moving. And that then led to about a third of the teachers being really, really interested in, in as I mentioned, the neuroscience. And um, OHSU, Oregon Health and Sciences University, offered about the same time that this was occurring, these free teacher brain lecture workshops about how to apply some of the brain um, research to the classroom. So about a third of them self-directed that they were going to get their professional development units there. Another third were very interested in subject-specific pieces and making things more hands-on. And then the last third just chose various tracks to do the professional development, but it ended up dovetailing really well. For example, one teacher decided she wanted to do some research in Alan Alda, recently had a a book come out about um, would I look like this 
would my face look like this if I understood you? And that that's probably not the right title, but that's that's the book. And that that book talks about how improv helps somebody present really difficult scientific information. And it, and the ideas that he spoke in there about how to get college kids to speak about their scientific findings in a way that a, a a non-scientific audience could understand was able to be brought in as we were talking about the brain research, about the standards that we're trying to adopt, about some of the core content. We were like, oh my goodness, those examples are great. Let's fold that into our presentation skills and let's fold that into these rubrics. And it ended up being that the teachers, if they had an interest, they were able to find something and they were driving their interests, and when it came back in, that passion ignited and connected with something somebody else was doing. And that then allowed us really to, to subdivide those into those four categories. That's how we came up with the presentation project, research, and writing. Um, it's because it, it aligned with both what our expectations are for our kids when they graduate, but with the teacher's interest in the research they were finding. Again, so, it seems like a very organic process that you lived. That's that's amazing. It was for us, and I realized that not everyone is as blessed to have these opportunities. But yeah, it was very organic for us. I'm interested to come back to something you referenced, and that is that you were. I mean, you're leading a very strong school. Um, most of your indicators, if not all of your indicators, and including the feedback from the schools that you feed up to. We're really positive. It sounds like you also have a really clearly defined school vision and culture. And so um, how, how did you kind of balance that with the whole idea of, okay, but we're going to do something different. We're going to do this new program that we're not maybe so sure about. And at the same time, it's not losing those aspects that, that brought you that previous success. How did you balance those two things, that need for innovation and change with um, a, a long and, and history of, of really good success. It really came down to getting the staff and leadership on the same page with what are the absolute core elements that make our school versus what are things we've always done. And if they were traditional projects, presentations, uh, community events that furthered and identified our mission, we kept them. But if they were things that we had adopted over the years because of particular teacher personalities or just opportunities that might exist on the campus, those were the ones we spent a lot of time looking at saying, okay, how, how can we do better? Why were we doing these? What were we hoping to get out of some of these events? And and how do we take those and fold in what we think will further the student's experience within the classroom? And the biggest question I kept coming back to is, are, are we doing these things because it will increase the student learning or not? And we got to the point after two years, you know, everyone by default, that was What's best for the students? And does it increase their learning? And we just spend a lot of time looking at our program 
knowing what our strengths were, we get a lot of feedback, as you mentioned, from our feeder schools, but also from our families and students. We spend a lot of time talking to them and, and doing surveys, and, and we're small enough we know them all, all the students. Um, and so using that, what, why do people come to our school? What do the sisters, our parent organization um, is the Sisters of St. Mary's of Oregon. They're the ones that, that set the direction for the school and their overall mission. What is their expectation and what are we doing to meet those? Uh, I had mentioned iPads earlier, but we knew we were going to have iPads come into the school at some point. And it was a matter of what would this look like? Is it going to be one-on-one? Is that going to drive student learning or is it going to be a tool that takes away? Um, and spent a lot of time looking into what have other schools done? What does the research say? Um, what what are our goals as a staff? What do we want these students to have? And does the iPad meet um, the standards that or meet the ability for us to... to uh, Gosh, I'm spacing on that. <laughs> no, it it sounds like the program evaluation. Is it is this tool right. going to lead to better learning, or is this a tool right. just to play around with? And I think right. that that's a really powerful thing that you're you're coming at in that whole process. Made you made you look at not just iPads, but made you look at all of the different activities that happen at your school and say, does this maximize our impact on student learning? Yes or no? And and you were able to to change some if they if they didn't or, or let go of some and, and move them towards having a higher impact. I think that that's amazing um, and a really cool process. <laughs> any any lasting lessons that you might share with another teacher or administrator? And, and it might just be, you know, it doesn't have to be for a whole program shift, but even just integrating more STEM. Maybe someone is, is experimenting with this and they're saying, okay, I like the underlying philosophy of that. How might I go about... Um, introducing a small aspect of this in my classroom? I, I think the, the biggest piece of advice I would give as you're looking to adopt anything new that isn't currently part of your program, from my experience, is understanding what you hope to get from it and how it is going to improve the direction of, of your students' um, as we look at this, there's so many things. Every year there's something new that is coming out that this is going to make it so much better for the students. And being able to get to the point where you can have the discussion with your staff about what parts of this are really exciting and you think will help and what parts of this maybe don't dovetail with where we're going right now. And if it's not currently something that dovetails with with where our direction is set, is it something we want? Or is it part of it that, you know what, that's amazing for some school, but it's not the right fit for us. And being able to get to a point you can have that discussion, um, I know it's very tempting for me to see something that comes across and you read about it and you do the initial research and you're like, oh, this would be so cool here. How do we bring this in? One of the things, a perfect example is when Mandarin was really popular trying to figure out how could we offer that and spending a lot of time while all these other schools are bringing it in and it's supposed to help all these components with the brain and, it, and it's a whole different language than what we offer. And, and then when we really stepped back and decided, well, why? 
other than the fact that a lot of other schools are doing it, why would we change the language that we've already had and our, what do our families think and and what is the ultimate goal here? You know, it's, it's shifted the, the thinking. Um, and, and there's been countless number of things that have come across in the, the 20 years that I've been a Valley Catholic that some of them we've adopted. Some of them we've adopted parts. Some of them we've adopted almost the whole package. But it's really important that you know who you are and what it is you hope to get out of it. And then the flip side to that is I would caution adopting something all or nothing. The few schools that I've seen that that have tried to do STEM, for example, and have struggled with it, I don't see them taking the time to prepare the students, the parents, and the teachers for what that means in their group. They've seen it presented outside by somebody else. They've seen another school's implementation of it, and they've tried to bring that into their school. And that that doesn't always fit. Parts of it might, but it's really hard to find a complete package that you can roll out immediately within your school. Yeah, I totally agree. Every school, every community is different and it's got to look different for every, every place that it, that it comes into. I think that's, yeah, I, I totally agree. Let's move on to um, education, perhaps a bit more generally. And is there something about learning or education that you believe is true that most people, or at least a high percentage of people, disagree with you about? Yeah, there there are two areas. One would be, I think faith has to be integrated within the school. Uh, for me, I've always taught in a faith-based school, and when I've been part of cohorts, or as I'm part of cohorts uh, from the larger community, uh, both public and private, by having a shared sense of mission, which often comes from a shared faith, you're able to keep your focus more narrow, um, and you know what the school is about. Um, that's my perspective. The other side, the other thing that I would say is I believe schools can get caught in trying to do too much for too many people. And while I do believe you need to educate all the students in your building, I don't think you need to do all things for every student in the building. I think you need to understand who you are as a school, what you can do well, where you need to improve, but there might be some things that you're just simply not set up to do successfully, and so you may not be the best choice to take on my example with Mandarin earlier. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and yeah, know when to uh, overstretch yourself. And I feel like that really um, is aligned with what you were talking previously about knowing who you are and knowing what you believe is going to have the highest impact on education. And, and yeah, I think that those are two complementary ideas. Um. When you think of the people or perhaps the experiences with whom you've had the most powerful learning, what was it about those particular people or about that particular situation or experience that made learning happen um, and exciting? And why was that a powerful learning experience? Uh, For me, it's every single one of them has pushed me to a place where I initially felt like I can't do it. 
can't do it. My first reaction is, nope, this isn't going to work. I'm not going to get it done. And slowly but surely, they set things in a way that they were achievable goals so that by the time I got to the end of the class or the end of the school year or whatever it may be, I looked back and went, oh, my goodness, I actually did this. Um, And for me, even when I'm looking at my teachers in the classroom, that ability to be able to take something and push someone farther than where they thought they could go and do so in a way that there's just enough growth, but not so much that they shut down, is is an incredible gift to a teacher. Absolutely. Uh, And you have to know your community to do that. And I think that, again, comes back to your (laughs) knowing who you are. Um, Do you have a favorite failure or a favorite success that helped you learn an important lesson, maybe a situation that you lived that you refer back to and said, say, I I learned something really important that time? The one that comes to mind is uh, trying to do too much because there's a lot of energy and excitement. And that seems to be one that I continue to learn again and again, um, whether it's with a staff and having several several people that are very passionate about something and um, underestimating the time and the energy it's going to take for them as well as for some of the other team to implement research and implement a particular strategy or even myself I get really excited about some things and we'll dive in and and to the point of almost obsessing on it because it's so exciting and then I will pull up and go oh wait a minute there's about four or five more steps here I need to I need to put on the brake so I I've seen several times where rolling out new curriculum is almost always the, the place where it happens that you see an example someplace else or you go to a conference and it seems super exciting and then the tendency is to come back and um, over the years I've learned that you know you need to temper that you need to figure out what is it that was so exciting about this element and how do we harness that coupled with the energy in a way that's realistic for the community we're in. And so for me, the biggest failure has been trying to adopt something without taking the time that it takes to look at how would that fit here in this school at this point in time with these kids. That's great. That's a a great lesson. Um, Let's get into some, uh, perhaps some smaller answers or f- faster answers. Do you have a favorite app, website, or other media that you um, you like to share? The the app I use the most is Notability. Um, I enjoy that both. I, I'm back in school myself, um, and I use that quite a bit as I'm trying to manage the amount of downloads. Um, and I still like being able to highlight and write, and that will allow me to reduce the will eliminate the paper while still being able to do some of the same study techniques that I had learned um, when I was in early college, um, high school and elementary school. Um, so that, that one I, I really, really appreciate. Nice. Do you have a book that you, that you like to quote or that you refer to that maybe you, um, that you give to other people a lot? Yeah. 
Can I tell you four? <laughs> Go ahead. This seems to be a really popular question. People are having difficulty triaging that. I love book recommendations. So yeah, give me four. So the four books that I quote the most, and I probably will use them off and on any given time, at least all four of them monthly. And although they've all been published some time ago, they stand as the foundation for things I ask um, staff to look at or to review and, and, and kind of talk at the basis. But um, one of the ones I quote the most is Seven Kinds of Smart by Armstrong. Um, and then that coupled with Multiple Intelligence by Howard Gardner. And I realize some of those those intelligences are still questionable. But what I like about those two books is the idea that you may have an incredibly smart student in your classroom and that the teacher and classmates may or may not recognize that based on the, the lesson you're doing. And so where the discussion comes for us, especially in light of STEM, is how do we get those kids to shine in a way that's realistic to what we can do? I'm sure every student sitting in classroom has something that brings them to life. But what can we realistically do in the classroom that makes them feel successful while still meeting the standards that we need to meet for that subject? And so those two books really open that discussion. You know, whether or not you agree with the multiple intelligences as they're laid out, the thought that just because you're presenting in lecture form doesn't mean that the child who's not tracking on the lecture isn't able to follow that information, especially if you give them a different way to present it. And so that's that's one of the things I like most about those two books. And then along the same line, um, the other two books are The Four Agreements by Don Miguel um, Ruiz and then Mindset by Carol Dweck. And, and the connection with those two is just the power of self-thought. You know, where are you and, and how do you use, how do you harness a child's thought process about themselves, about an assignment to really engage them to move forward? And so those two books for me, even though they have very, two very different content areas, they're, they're connected in my perception of how you need to look at a child and that, that we have to make sure we're not reinforcing some of their preconceived notions about themselves. Uh, the Four Agreements is, is interesting to me because I didn't actually know about that book. And then a, a, a mutual friend of ours, Dr. Randy Hetherington, introduced it to me. Oh! I've, uh, I really liked it. And, and I'm also impressed. I, I didn't have to use my caveat, which I usually have to use with uh, Catholic school principals, in that you uh, you could not use the Bible because most of them are just, you know, yeah, I use the Bible every single day. I quote it a lot. So, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Although I'm sure you do. Uh <laughs> A little bit more universal. It's all good. What's one thing that you do every day or most days that helps you to be well and healthy? The thing I do the most is after school, I take time in the evening after we have family dinner, and, and I love a wood fire. So we have a wood wood stove at home. I'll have a cup of tea. I'll sit in front of the fire and do some reading or watch TV or whatever whatever might be on tap for that, that evening. But that wood fire and that tea are my absolute 
time for rejuvenation. I feel like that's very Pacific Northwest of you. <laughs> it probably is. <laughs> I can just see it now. It seems really cozy. Um, lastly, do you have an organization or a person who really inspires you? It could be right now or it could, uh, could be for, for a long time. Now, I have several organizations that inspire you, but uh, uh, the main group that has really set the direction of my interests um, has been the Sisters of St. Mary's of Oregon um, from being and having several of the sisters as teachers all the way through elementary and middle school, um, high school, and then wanting to come back and work for them, which I eventually was able to do. That was one of my goals. It happened early in life that I achieved that goal, but um, and being able to really be a lay person that, that furthers the, the mission of the St. Mary's and just watching their outreach and, and how they treat their staff and, and what it is that they set up as their, their overall reason for being. Um, I'm just honored to be a part of it. So, so they really have set a lot of the, the drive for me to figure out how to reach out to other staff and, and our students and the community. How do we bring our students out to the community? Which brings us back to STEM because one of the huge components there is the community outreach piece. Um, and so that, that would be the biggest, most consistent organization in my life that has continued to inspire me. And I could go through persons for persons, but when I started looking at the people that I would put at the top of my list, almost all of them were one of the sisters um, or family members. And so. No, that's, that's great. Sounds like they're doing some, some really uh, interesting and, and important work. So, uh, although your last answer makes me a little bit worried about asking you this next question, um, what, what's next for you? What are, what are some of the questions or the problems that you're looking at tackling next? Um, uh, what, are, what are some of the things that you're, you're hoping for your school in, in coming years and maybe months? Right. Well, I'm looking at, I'm currently working on my EDD degree up at University of Portland, and with that... Um, I'm concentrating on neuroscience, and, and my goal has always been to retire out of a principal position and go work either down at the archdiocese or in some capacity that allows me to go to the schools, the smaller Catholic schools, and help them, help them figure out how to take the ideas that they have and the mission they have, but but maybe don't have enough time for somebody to really dive in and do the legwork um, of trying to help them customize it for their school because they're so busy running the day-to-day operations. And a lot of the the parish schools, the K-8s with middle school programs, simply don't have the funds. And so... I would love to be able to somehow, whether it's me directly or helping other people branch out, um, somehow find a way to make it a sustainable program that the the parish schools have a cohort between themselves specifically for um, support in rolling out goals and accreditation ideas uh, moving forward. So I don't know how long till I do that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But it sounds fascinating. I mean, yeah, to be able to to help so many schools, that would be great. And um, yeah, so that's, 
if people are, are interested in perhaps following along, whether that's with your current work, with the implementation of STEM, or perhaps some of your future work, what are some of the best ways that people can connect with you? Are you in, in any of those social media type things? The school is, and by default, I'm in charge of the middle school part of that. Um, we have Facebook and Twitter and um, Flickr and YouTube and Instagram. So if they go to the Valley Catholic website up at the top, they'll be able to see all the icons to click on um, for the different social media and then choose middle school underneath those. I'm on a campus that's shared with, with several other schools and a convent and a nursing home. And so it, you would just have to look for the middle school version of it. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we'll be able to see a lot of the interesting STEM activities that you're doing. Do you know, I want to just thank you so much for sharing your experiences with implementing STEM education. I, I think you really speak to some of the themes that are really important to me, and that's knowing who you are, knowing whether what you're doing has an impact on student learning, and no matter what kind of fancy gadget or program that comes along, always evaluating those things against what you hold as your core beliefs. And that's what I'm really taking out of this. So thank you so much for sharing that and uh, best of luck in the future. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Intersection Education Podcast. Before you go, I'd like to recognize that the land where this interview took place is a sacred place that has a long history of human existence. This land has helped people like the Cree, Salto, Nisitapi or Blackfoot, Métis, and Nakota Sioux live well for thousands of years. Let us continue to live well and respect this land.